Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and welcome to Master Leadership, where we connect with leaders worldwide to gain insights on important topics to help us on our journey towards greater significance. If you would like to participate as a guest, or if you have a question that you would like to ask a guest, go to masterleadership.org for more information. Peter Anderton is most well known for his TEDx talk, Great Leadership Comes Down to Only Two Rules, which has been viewed over 1.5 million times and is now being used in MBA programs globally. He's also the founder of Internal Alignment, where he helps leaders build processes so they can 10x their companies from inside out. He knows that if teams are at their best, pulling together and heading in the right direction, amazing things happen. That's what he does. Working with hundreds of companies, including giants like Jaguar Land Rover, 3M, Atkins, HSBC Holdings, Mitchells and Taylor, and Huntsman, delivering over a thousand percent ROI. Welcome, Peter Anderton. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Lilia. And how are you? I'm doing super well. I'm so excited to talk to you. One, you have the British accent. <laughs> Two, you are all about leadership, and that's what we love. Oh, yeah, I'm delighted, and I love conversations like this, so I can't wait. So tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now, Peter. A lot of it, I think, is accidental. I think that's probably the same for many people. I'm actually an engineer by training. Problem solver. Absolutely, yes. So I started off as a manufacturing systems engineer, And I was constantly helping people improve how things were happening in their areas, working with teams, bringing them together to identify problems and put solutions in place. And I got to the point that I wanted to run my own area rather than help everybody improve somebody else's area. So I became a production manager. And that that was actually I moved out of the chemical industry, which wasn't very exciting, into the food industry, which was interesting. And that was my first taste of being a line manager. I was brought in as the man who made a product in the UK called Mini Cheddars, which you've probably never heard of. Uh, That's delicious though. (laughs) (laughs) So that was my job. My first line experience was managing a team of about 80 people. Oh, wow. uh, It was very much a baptism of five. I ended up with some fabulous people around me. It worked really well, had some real challenges. And as part of that process, the challenge for me came not on that particular line, but when I was moved on to the problem child of the whole factory, which was the chocolate hobnobs line. It's like an oaty biscuit with a chocolate coating on the top. And it nearly broke me. So I'm still quite early in my career at this stage. And the two managers before me had left with nervous breakdowns. Um, I was young enough and arrogant enough to think that I would be fine and I could handle it. And it didn't take too long. I reckon probably about eight months in and there I was I was already starting to crack up my wife could see the signs Uh, she was getting increasingly concerned and long story short 
hardest thing I ever had to do was to turn around and say, I can't do this anymore. Can you give me another role? There's lots of stories that sit behind it. As it turned out, when I moved on, they replaced me with two people and slowed the whole production line down. Because I'd done the maths, I could see that it was an impossible situation. But I moved from production in the food industry, ultimately, after a really hard experience. But that's probably one of the experiences that taught me the most about leadership, but by getting it completely wrong, completely and utterly wrong. And then I moved into the production in pharmaceutical industry. And then probably around about the year 2000, I crossed over to the dark side and I joined HR. And I absolutely loved it. Got involved in a whole range of roles, working for 3M at the time. And by the time I left, I was the organizational development manager across the UK. And I'd worked with the board on strategy, on change and leadership, a whole range of fascinating stuff. And what I do now is I work with senior leaders who need their teams to go further and faster. And I create alignment in teams and I help them get out of their own way. And I work at two levels. I work with a whole senior team and I work with individual senior leaders. So I've got a range of clients that I coach from those who are relatively new to senior leadership positions to the chief execs of organizations who measure their turnover in billions rather than millions. So some quite large organizations as well. I love what I do. It's a great opportunity. Not a small task, a lot of responsibility, a lot of great work. So I want to go back to the almost nervous breakdown because that's something that concerns me for people, especially nowadays, they're churning out so much and they forget to take care of themselves. How important is self-care as a leader? I think it's absolutely massive. And I think one of the biggest things that any leader can do when they are struggling, and this sounds really ridiculously basic, is just to get outside and exercise. It doesn't have to be anything fancy, but we can get to the point. We work on the principle that we haven't got time for any of this. And when I was in that scenario, I had no time. I was working incredible hours. Of course, the huge mistake I was making is I thought it was all about me and it was never about me. And that was the big mistake. And walking is one of the best things. But for me, I love to go out cycling. And that's been beneficial for me on a number of occasions. But literally just getting out for a walk and clearing your head. First of all, you're in better physical shape. You're in better mental shape. But also all the best ideas come when you're actually moving. That's right. So if you're wanting to find solutions, when you're stuck where you are, you'll really very rarely find the solutions. When you're out there moving, stuff just falls into place. So I think... Self-care is really important. I'd love to say I'm perfect at it, Lily, but I would be telling you lies. One of the things I want to do more of is getting out cycling more, but I do often get out walking. I've got a dog that helps to make that happen. And I think that's probably the most important thing that any leader could do. Yeah. So if you're working from home, get a dog. Yeah, there you go. I remember during lockdown, there was a manager I was working with that they had a commute to work. But whilst working from home, they would go out and they would walk all the way around the block and then come back to the house to arrive at work. And then when it came to the end of the, whatever their working day was, they'd go back the other way. I thought it was absolutely genius. It's so funny and helpful. I love it. So there's so much to talk about. Now, you did a little something called the TED Talk, right? And the title was Great Leadership Comes Down to Only Two Rules. Now, it's had over one and a half million views since I last saw it, may have had more. Tell us about that. 
funnily enough, a lot of it came from my complete cock-up when I was running the Hobnob line, but not at the time. I'd love to say I was enlightened enough to work it out there and then. And I think what's interesting about my take on leadership is that what I don't do is put myself up there as the person that has all of the answers, as though I am the person who's changed the world or run this amazing, huge organization. My take on leadership, if you like, is a little bit like insights on leadership from the bloke next door. Yeah, I don't propose to have it all sorted, but I do believe that we have hugely overcomplicated what leadership is about. And I get very, very frustrated about that fact. And in fact, one of the things I firmly believe is that you do not need an MBA to understand leadership, despite the picture that's being created around us, which I find slightly amusing because my TED talk is actually regularly used in MBA programs around the world now. So that, I don't need MBA programs. I know. I, I love that fact. I really do. But, you know, the last time I Googled leadership, I got six billion results. I mean, seriously, what do you do with all of that? It's just terrifying. And I once went through an exercise where I thought, okay, I'm going to look at a whole range of different definitions and models around leadership. And the irony is, of course, if I speak to 100 experts on leadership, I'll get 101 different definitions and models. But I tried piecing them all together, thinking, well, what could all this look like? And you end up with some sort of complex chemical formula. It's almost impossible to understand what it is. And what we've done in recent decades, there's been so much research and thinking about leadership. But rather than making leadership clearer, we've just buried it under more and more noise. And for me, the essence of leadership comes down to two rules, hence the TEDx talk that I gave. And the first thing that we need to get our head around from a leadership perspective, and it doesn't matter where we look, we can look into ancient wisdom, we can look in the playground, you know, we can look in the corporate world, we can look at home, because these principles aren't really about leadership, they're about life. And the first rule we need to get our heads around, particularly as leaders, is it's not about you. And and that's where, you know, when I was running the chocolate hobnob line, or at times failing to run the chocolate hobnob line, I remember my worst ever shift had 10 tons of biscuits on the floor. That was an interesting shift, not one that you want to repeat. But I was running around trying to cover everything. I was full of ideas, full of solutions, and they were good ideas and good solutions. But I was the bottleneck for the whole team. There's a whole team of people that could be working on this and resolving this, and they were doing the best that they could. However... I was everywhere trying to fix everything. And all the time, I thought it was about me. I thought it was down to me. And it became about my solutions, my way of doing things. And if I'm really honest, it became about my ego as well. Because I was brought in as the hot shot who was going to save the day. And I desperately wanted to prove myself, which, of course, is the Achilles heel of many a leader when they're brought in. They want to prove that they know what they're doing and can make an impact. And sometimes taking that approach, well, almost invariably is the very worst thing that they can do. And it seems so counterintuitive, doesn't it? Totally. But the thing is that when I work with leaders, the thing that I really try to get across to them, and this statement might sound like semantics, Lily, but it's really, really important, that as a leader, it's not your job to deliver the result. It's your job to deliver the team who deliver the result. And whilst it sounds like a very small distinction, in terms of impact of you as a leader and on the team and on the results you're looking to achieve and the sustainability of them, that's absolutely massive. And once we get our heads around that fact, everything starts to fall into place. And the dilemma with this, Lily, is it sounds a little bit like I've plucked them out of thin air. 
and said, here we are, two rules. Boom. This is everything you need to know about leadership. But if you think for a moment of people that you've worked for in the past, or even, you know, teachers that you've had in the past, but authority figures, if you like, and you think of the worst ones you've ever worked for and the best ones you've ever worked for, if you were to write a list and you had a column for each of the things that they did, I mean, let's just throw out a few. Let's think of the worst person you ever worked for. Let's pick of three things that they did or, or didn't do. What would you say they were? Um, no, no, no names, by the way. I don't want to get no, you into it. No names. They didn't trust me. They micromanaged me and they sabotaged. Okay. Those are just the top three. Okay. And that's just the top three. And we could go further. They didn't listen. They never gave you helpful, positive feedback, all of that stuff. Okay. When there was blame to be dished out, then they gave it out. When there was credit, they took it for themselves, all of that kind of stuff. Okay. So best manager you ever worked for, what sort of things did they do? So they trusted me. Mm, huge. Right? So even if I made mistakes, they didn't crucify me for those mistakes. They still trusted me. Yes. They added value to me and they gave me credit. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a whole list too. I can Yeah. There's so with. much you could add to that. So let's just think about those. So they trusted you. They added value to you. They gave you credit. Where is the focus of their attention? Is it on themselves or is it on you? on you and that's significant now if you go back to the worst people you work for who micromanage you they didn't trust you it's all about them so whilst it might sound initially like a bit of a sound bite rule number one of leadership it's not about you actually we can all sit and reflect of all the people we've ever worked for and the very best and the very worst that we've seen in leadership and rule number one is is the golden thread that separates the worst from the best the worst people you've ever worked for they don't get rule number one. The best ones always get and apply rule number one. That's why it's such a big deal. It's the foundation. Everything starts from that point. I love this. So rule number one, it's not about you. And rule number two is my job is to deliver the team that delivers the results. Is that correct? So when I say your job as a leader is to deliver the team that deliver the result, that is for me another way of articulating rule number one. All right. Okay. I was having a conversation with somebody earlier and the problem they have is the business only works when they're there. And when they're not there, things start to unravel. So they've tripped over rule number one okay. because the problem is it's all about them. So it relies upon them and those around them don't grow or develop. They end up just relying on that leader for whatever solutions are coming forward or the way things are actually happening. They're not grabbing things and owning them and making them happen themselves because it's all about the leader. Yes, I absolutely love it. Now, what's rule number two? Something we have to recognize about rule number two is that, well, let me ask you a question, Lily. When somebody works for us only because they have to, how much do they give? Bare minimum. And let's face it, we're living in a world today where all our team, if they gave the bare minimum, then we're done for. It's not an option. And what we start to recognize is that there are various reasons why people might choose to give us more. I'm a big fan. You've probably covered this before, actually, so I won't go into it in great detail. But John Maxwell talks about five levels of leadership. Yes, he does. Yeah, level one leadership is where people work for you because they have to. And that's where you get the minimum. And there's a range of different things that we can look at about our behavior and the relationship we have with the team. But the ultimate, when people will give us everything, is when they follow us because of who we are and what we stand for. 
It's very much like Gandhi's be the change. Correct. If this is what you want, well, then be it. Demonstrate it, show it and make it happen. And what we need to understand with rule number two is that it's no good waiting for everybody else to sort themselves out. True leadership looks in the mirror and says, well, it's time I started cleaning up my own act. Yes. The best leaders don't look at their team and shake their head thinking, well, that's disappointing. They're not where I need them to be. The best leaders recognize that their team become a reflection of them. Right. Who do I need to become so that Absolutely. they grow? Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. So that's that's the critical thing here. One of my favorite quotes around this was Nelson Mandela. He said, I could not change others until I changed myself. Beautiful. And that really is the essence of rule number two, because the issue is when somebody works for us because they have to, they give the minimum. The, the real difference in leadership is choice. You may have had the debate on the podcast before. It's, it's a question that's been going around for a long time. What's the difference between management and leadership? And we can create different columns and then we can have a debate saying, oh, hang on a minute, that shouldn't really just sit in that column. It kind of sits in this column as well. And it's messy and they overlap and it's not as clear cut. I think we've been asking the wrong question for a long time. The real difference between management and leadership is choice. Okay, you follow a leader because you want to. And when you want to follow them, you give more. And this is why rule number two is so important. I'm not saying this is about being everybody's best friend, but we've all worked for a manager we liked and we've all worked for a manager we didn't like. And there's a difference. You give more when there's a relationship. But it's very much about who you are and what you stand for. And if we, as I said, we need to recognize that as leaders, we get the team we deserve. And I'm and I'm not I'm not want maybe, but the one we deserve. Okay. And I'm not talking about karma here. And I also recognize that you know you inherit a team. Boom, there they are. Okay. Or you arrive in and the team's already there. So in the short term, that's not true. But in the long term, it's absolutely true. Because over time, if they haven't shifted, if they haven't changed, it's still your responsibility. It starts and ends with you. Peter, several things that I'm reading from you and who you are as a leader. One is that you listen well, because you've listened to my responses. You wrote them down. You nailed them, which to me is really important in leadership. I'm loving what I'm hearing. Those two rules, essential. But I also noticed your humility. Why that's super important to me is because I've discovered that humility and wisdom are very connected. You can't have one without the other. In order to grow in wisdom, you've got to look at things differently. And it comes from a space of humility. So I want to honor you and say that because of the important work that you do in leadership. And now our listeners are probably wondering, well, where can I connect with Peter? So tell us. Okay. First of all, that's very kind of you. And I just want to emphasize what you've described there is the foundation. It's rule number one. And rule number one is very good news not just for the team, but if we have the humility to realize that we don't have all of the answers and that we need to listen to those around us, that's massive for us. It takes a huge amount of pressure. We're not walking around thinking, I need to be the one with all of the answers. I'm in charge here. We understand that that's very, very different. And rule number one says the best leaders don't assume they've got all the answers. They pull it together from a range of people around them and create an overall picture. So that's really, really kind of you to say. Thank you. In terms of getting in touch with me, I would say a really good place to start. I've got a website, which is www.peteranderton.com. So that's quite easy to remember. 
But there's also something I've created that I think people will find useful. And it's free. It's, it's available for anybody to have a go at. I call it the Inspirometer. It's a short set of questions. It takes you about three minutes to complete. That's all. And it will really make you think about yourself as a leader. And there's a little report that comes through from it that gives you some insights, some areas that you might want to think about, some work that you could do that could take things a little bit further. So that's a great way just to perhaps make contact in some way. And then, as I said, you can also link up via my website, peteranderton.com. And I'm regularly post stuff on LinkedIn as well. So it'd be great if anybody wants to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm always delighted to make contact there. Love it. Love it. The Inspirometer, T-H-E-I-N-S-P-I-R-O-M-E-T-E-R.com. Love it. Thank you. You're very welcome. Uh, Lily, I've loved being here with you. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast. Hold on. (laughs) Oh, that's fine. I thought you were done. No problem. (laughs) So um, as a lifelong learner, Peter, what are you learning right now? That's a really interesting question. This is probably not the answer you're expecting, actually. I've been chewing on some things in the Old Testament, in the Bible. In an interesting point, if I go back a long way, the two rules of leadership There's a lot there from my own experience, but you'll also see them coming through in a scriptural context as well. So a lot of it has come from there as well. But at the moment, I've been looking at some of the old principles in the law in the Old Testament, just to see what I can understand from them and what I can pull together in terms of a broader understanding about life. So that's been an area that I've been focused on recently. But another area that I'm starting to look at is habits and the formation of better habits, because it's so easy, isn't it? Just to slide into bad habits. I've got a book. Where is it? I was going to ask, what book are you reading? It just arrived, actually. So here it is, Tiny Habits, Why Starting Small uh, Makes Lasting Change Easy. But when I say I'm about to start, it's literally just arrived. It is currently unopened and unread. So that's the next task for me. Next growth point. I love it. Love it. And that is an important thing. Habits, processes. As an engineer, you know how important that is. So yes. Peter, when you think of leadership today, what most concerns you and what are you most hopeful about? Funnily enough, it's kind of the same thing. You know, what concerns me is also what I'm most hopeful about. So I hope this doesn't sound like I'm dodging the question, but I look around and I see too many leaders who don't get rule number one. Mm-hmm. And obviously, where we see it a lot is in politics, particularly. But what we have to recognise is that I don't believe that's the politician's fault. I believe that's the flaw in the democratic system, that people will vote for people they consider to be charismatic. And regularly, the ones who are most charismatic don't actually get rule number one. So it's a classic case of being you know, careful what you wish for, you might just get it. Again, as I said, this is not about leadership. There's too many people out there who think that problems that they're dealing with they are the center of the known universe it comes down to rule number one and rule number two because where I get really frustrated is when we end up making the mistake and by the way we've all been there don't think I'm any exception to this where we think that it's everybody else who needs to change and not us everybody needs to go see a psychologist so I can do well in this world Yeah, yeah. And that's where we're making the mistake, actually, because if we want things to be any different, it has to start with us. Absolutely. And and we need to stop pointing the finger and talking about how everybody else has got it all wrong or how they need to do exactly what we're thinking and recognize that we need to look ourselves in the mirror and start looking at what we need to be doing differently. You know, what's interesting, I started this podcast in 2016 
Mm -hmm. And in November, that was a very important election year. And I watched the candidates that we had to choose from. And that's when I thought, oh my gosh, this is the best we can do. And then my second thought, because I'm an educator, my second thought was, what's my responsibility here? As I'm talking, I'm thinking it's not about me, but I'm taking responsibility for my mm -hmm. part in this. And so this is when the thought of podcasting landed. And I had no idea how to podcast. It just came to me. And it's me taking responsibility. How? By up-leveling how we talk about leadership. I love that. And that's, that's where that came from. Lily, that's fantastic. And the thing is, that, you know, there are too many people out there making themselves and those around them miserable, you know, and from a leadership perspective, my job is to change that. And that's exactly what you're doing with this podcast. So I'm, like I said, I'm genuinely delighted to be here. And I am so happy to have you. So we have a surprise question. Steven Goldberg wants to know, what's the most challenging decision that you've had to make so far that made you a better leader? I think we've already touched on it, actually. I think the hardest thing I've ever had to do is put my hand up and say, I can't do it. And for me, that was just crushing. It was absolutely crushing. But putting my hand up and actually effectively asking, please, can you give me another role? And I said, this goes back, this is nearly 25 years ago now. But that time when I had to turn around and say, I, I can't do this. Yeah. It was a massive blow to my pride yeah. and my ego. But I think actually, when I look back over my career, and the impact that I've had, a lot of things started to fall into place around that time, but I just didn't know it. Some of it took several years. You know, I'd love to say my next role, I was amazingly different. It's not true. I wasn't amazingly different in the next role. I still had things to learn. And I developed from it. Absolutely. I learned from it. But really, over many years of reflecting on the same thing, that's where things started to fall into place. But I think for me, that was possibly the most challenging decision I've ever made. And I really didn't want to do it. Would you say it's admitting failure? Yeah, definitely. Being more authentic. Yeah. And uh, the challenge in the food industry is you're only as good as your last shift. <laughs> so it's a very, very ruthless industry to find yourself working in. But yes, admitting failure and putting your hand up for that. That's a very hard thing to do, but a very authentic thing to do as well. One of the things that I've had to learn too was ask for help. Mm which for me, it's attached to my trauma in the past, childhood trauma, but I've had to grow and really listen to that. Asking for help is an important step. In Huge. Our and again, it comes back to rule number one. Mm -hmm. It's okay to think you know, it's not about you. You don't have to be the one with all of the answers. Okay. And actually, most of us, the whole reason there's a lot of us around, really, with the people we can reach out to to support one another. And that's what we need to do. Love it. All right. So Peter, as a listener of this podcast, what's a question that you would like a future leadership guest to respond to? Like, what are you curious about? Well, it's probably related to this, actually. The question you asked was, what's the hardest decision that effectively you've ever had to make, a challenge that you faced? I think the question I would ask, I don't know if it's already been asked before, but I always think it's an interesting one is, what's the biggest mistake you've ever made as a leader? And what did you learn from it? I love that question. It has been made before, but it's such an important question that we need to address it again. So thank you so much. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? We have already touched on it, but the thing that I would say, if I was bringing my thoughts to a close, is to recognize that 
whilst I believe there are two rules that every leader should know and everything else is just noise, in reality, you could say they're not really the two rules of leadership. They're the two rules of life. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing to recognize and reflecting back on what we've said about challenging decisions and mistakes on all those other aspects, there is no such thing as the perfect leader. They simply don't exist. But what we all need to remember is the very next best thing is the leader who gets and applies rule number one and rule number two. Mm. You said that leadership is about life. The rules are about life. And that is such a true statement. It's about how we walk in this world, our way of being, leading ourselves well. Peter, it's been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Lily. I really appreciate it. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.